You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Good morning. I've got my Bible open to Luke chapter 2 to the Christmas message, and I want to invite you to open your Bible to that place as well, Luke chapter 2. I know that you've probably been singing a lot of Christmas carols. A Christmas carol that's kind of captured my attention this Christmas season is the old Christmas carol, Do You Hear What I Hear? You know this, you know this Christmas carol? You know this one? It's not the best Christmas carol, but it does have an important message. I am convinced that there are a lot of people who have heard the Christmas message who have never heard the Christmas message. And I want to ask you this morning, do you hear what I hear? The first verse of that song actually asks, do you see what I see? Which fits very well with our behold message that we've attached to this series. Uh, The third verse starts with, do you know what I know? And the last one says, listen to what I say. I think a preacher wrote that song. He had to have written that song. Actually, it was written by a couple. Um, You would think that it would be a really old Christmas carol. It's really not that old. It was written in 1962. It was written during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And the couple that wrote this song were looking for a song to communicate the message of peace at a time when we were on the verge of nuclear destruction, nations warring against nation, men against men, and all the conflict and the lack of peace, they wanted a a song to communicate, um, pray for peace, people everywhere, right? So that is really the message of Christmas. Now, this morning, this is what I want to ask you to do. I want you to hear the Christmas message, whether it's the first time or whether you've heard it all of your life, I want you to hear it with different ears, okay? So three things that we're going to say today. First of all, you have to listen for the right messengers. If you're going to hear the Christmas message, you have to listen for the right messengers. Secondly, you have to listen for the right message. Thirdly, you have to listen with your heart. So that's where we're going today. And we'll just jump right into the historical context of the story right here in Luke chapter 2, picking up in verse 1. It says, in those days. Now, you realize there are no wasted words in the Bible, right? Notice it doesn't say once upon a time. Because fairy tales begin with once upon a time. The, the human author, Luke, is trying to tell us this really happened. There were particular days where there were particular ruling parties. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. How do you like that for nice Christmas messaging? I don't know that we've really, anybody memorized those verses? That would seem to be trivial, but it's not. He's telling us that the birth of Christ happened at a point in history. This guy, Caesar Augustus, that was actually kind of a title. It would be kind of like president. The guy's name was actually Gaius Octavius Therinius. Anybody looking for baby names? Uh, you can pick one of those. And it happened that the governor of, of Syria was Quirinius at the time. Now, all of this stuff can be traced back to historical setting there. And this guy was a godless guy. These guys had no understanding of like the promised Messiah and all the human, and all the Old Testament. But at the time, God's people were being oppressed and ruled by godless People. So if you're ever in a season where you feel like you're being ruled by godless authorities, 
just understand God is in complete control and at times he will use godless authorities to pull off wonderful events in your life. Take note, verse 3, And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Remember the story from last week? We have Mary, who got a visit from an angel. She's betrothed to Joseph, and Joseph, these, this couple is living in the northern area of Israel, around Galilee, and all of a sudden, this godless ruler says, everybody has to go back home. So Joseph says, okay, we got to go back home. Well, where did Joseph happen to be from? He happened to be from this place called Bethlehem. So God orchestrates the events through godless rulers to get Jesus to the place where he was predicted to be born hundreds of years before all this happened. As a matter of fact, back in the Old Testament, in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, it says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruled in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. There's only one person in human history that fits that description. Jesus. Someone who is coming from eternity past, from of old, ancient days, who would be born at the exact time, in the exact spot, where Gaius Octavius Therenius said everybody had to go home. Amazing how God works in human history. The story continues in verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger. A manger, uh, we talk about the manger scene. The manger is not the whole scene. The manger is a feeding trough. And so she used a f an animal feeding trough as a crib. And little did she know at the time that would be the first earthly throne of what would become the king of Israel the king of kings. By the way, that's not the last throne he's going to occupy. Mm -hmm. The next time he comes, he's not going to be laid in a manger. He's going to come to sit on the throne of the universe. And so, he says, he was laid in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. All right, so because everybody was going back home, it was like a Notre Dame football home weekend, okay? All the Airbnbs had been filled up. There was no room in the hotels or anything like that, and so there was no room. And you know the innkeeper gets a bad rap in the story. Everybody looks at the innkeeper, well, why couldn't you find any more room for Jesus? I think the innkeeper would look back at you and like, why can't you find any more room for Jesus? Have you looked at your schedule lately? Have you looked at your bank account? How much room in your budget do you have for Jesus? How much room in your schedule do you have for Jesus? Um, before you ask why 
couldn't the innkeeper find more room in his inn, you might want to ask the question, why can't you find any more room in your heart for Jesus? That, that would be, the, but that's not the main message. That's just kind of a, a point there. Here, here's actually the first point. Here's the first, the first thing I wanted you to see. If you want to hear the Christmas message, you have to listen for the right messengers. All right, so here's the messengers beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds. Everybody underline the word shepherds. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. When I went to Israel I actually went to that field. And you could see how this would be a great setting for angels to show up. And that's exactly what happened in verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Everybody underline the word angel in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, there's our word, I bring you good news. The, word, the two words good news there, it actually comes from one word in the Greek. It's the word evangelizo. We get our word evangelism from that word. We get our word evangelical from that word. By the way, evangelical is not a voting block. Evangelical is a group of people who believe the good news around Jesus. That's the where we get our word, the gospel. We believe the good news of the gospel. And the good news brings us, notice, great joy that will be for all the people. If the good news hasn't brought you great joy, you haven't really heard it. If you want to hear it, you got to listen for the right messengers. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. Bethlehem was known as the city of David. Because David, the greatest king, humanly speaking, in the Old Testament, was born in Bethlehem. Keep that in mind. Jesus is born in the same place as the greatest king in Israel, David, who was born in Bethlehem. He says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Notice the titles the angel gives to Jesus, both Savior and Lord. There's a lot of people that think somehow you can receive Jesus as your Savior and reject Him as Lord. Yeah, I really want to go to heaven when I die. I want Him to save me from all of my sin and the consequences of my sin, but I really don't want to live for Him. I don't want to put my life under His Lordship. You can't do that. He is both Savior and Lord. If you reject Him as your Lord, He will reject you from being your Savior. You have to receive Him as both Savior and Lord because that's who He is. And so it says in verse 12, And this will be a sign for you. You will, be you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the one angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So we got two groups of messengers here. First of all, 
we have the angels. How many of you wish you could be visited by an angel? How many of you wish a Christmas angel would show up and like fill in all the blanks and, and solve all of the problems that the pastor can't solve for you? The pastor wishes an angel would show up and solve those problems for me too. But listen, everybody wants to get a visit from an angel, but the reality is, listen, listen, there are very few people in human history that ever got visited by an angel. If you are waiting for an angel to show up to answer all of your questions and to convince you of realities that you can't figure out by listening to normal messages from God, you're going to be waiting a long time. I doubt anybody in this room is going to get a visit from an angel. Everybody wants a visit from an angel. Here's the message of Christmas, though. We want angels. God gives us shepherds. Think about these shepherds. The shepherds were the exact opposite of angels. Angels are majestic, and they're perfect, and they're glorious, and they smell good. And shepherds smell like sheep. You ever smelled a sheep? Not a great smell. So here are these shepherds. Now, all these shepherds did was hang out with sheep in a field. Do you know why? Because they'd been rejected by everybody else. You know, one of the highest values in Jewish culture was cleanliness. And so these shepherds, they couldn't be in the place of worship. They couldn't go to the tabernacle because they were considered unclean. They were the outcast. Shepherds, that was the occupation that everybody needed and nobody wanted to have. These guys were scoundrels. These were guys that usually had like criminal records and the only job they could pick up were like these unskilled, you know, uneducated positions that nobody else wanted. And so they became shepherds because it was the only job they could really do. <clears throat> they were outcast. There was one advantage of being a shepherd. You got to spend a lot of time undistracted. They, they were just hanging out in a field with sheep. That means they could get really contemplative. How many of you wish you could have more time alone just to sit and think about life, about God, about yourself, about the scripture? Well, that was an advantage that shepherds had. See, that if, if you were out in a field watching over your flock by night, you, you only had three people you could possibly talk to. You could talk to the sheep, you could talk to yourself, or you could talk to God. Do you know the biggest book that we have in the Old Testament is the book of Psalms? Do you know who wrote most of the Psalms? A shepherd. His name was David. And what we have is some of the most poetic and artistic and contemplative thoughts in our Bibles about God. When do you think he wrote those things? Probably when he was talking to a sheep. Or God. And in those moments, he could get really contemplative. And so, if you want to get a message from God, you might want to become more like a shepherd. You might even need to go sit out in a field somewhere without your cell phone. 
and just sit and contemplate the deep thoughts about God. These shepherds were perfect candidates to get a message from God. They were rejected by everybody else. They were needy. They were lonely. They, they, they knew they needed a Savior. You ever thought about this? Why didn't the angels go show up at Gaius Octavius Therenius' house? I mean, if he would have got the message, I'm sure he could have disseminated it to everything, everybody, right? The angels didn't go to the most prestigious. They went to the lowest. You know what the message is? The gospel's for everybody. And so no matter what your socioeconomic status, you can hear a message from God. Messages from God come to people who think they're nobodies. And it's the nobodies that God wants to use to get the message to everybody. And that's exactly what these shepherds did. And so we all want angels, but what God gives us is shepherds. Now, if you were living back in that day, and the shepherds showed up to tell you about the message that they got from an angel, that the angel got from God, how quick would you be to dismiss the shepherds because they didn't smell good? Or they weren't educated? Or they weren't at your same socioeconomic level? Or maybe you realize these guys have so many gaps and flaws in their character that somehow the message they're preaching can't be true. Do you have any shepherds that have tried to get the message to you? A mom, a dad, a faithful grandma, grandpa, maybe a friend or a neighbor, husband or wife, or maybe even some pastors that have tried to communicate the message of Christmas to you, and you rejected the message because you couldn't get past the flaws of the messenger. That's a mistake. God is always going to give you flawed messengers to deliver a truthful message. Again, if you're waiting for an angel, it's probably not going to happen. Did you know that in the New Testament, the actual word for pastor is the same word for shepherd, overseers. And God tells us that the shepherds, they, 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 there are qualifications, there are standards for messengers and pastors to be shepherds over their people. If you're, if you're a small group leader, if you're a flock leader, if, if you shepherd kids and harvest kids or in the youth ministry or college, there's, shepherd, there's standards for us that have this role of shepherds. As a matter of fact, we see this in 1 Peter chapter 5. We're told, those of us that have the responsibility of pastoring, we are told to shepherd the flock of God that is among us. Exercising oversight. That means we have to be watchful. We have to protect you from danger. We have to warn you from making wrong decisions that you're going to regret. That's what a shepherd does. He goes after the sheep. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, not because we have to, but because we want to. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge. Not bopping you over the head and dragging you back and forcing you to do something you didn't want to do in the first place. But being examples to the flock. In other words, I'm walking this way. Y'all come. That's what a shepherd does. I know the way. Follow me. A shepherd feeds the sheep and leads the sheep. 
Now, I've gathered um, all of our staff together, and I, I've got an announcement to make for you in church this morning. I've examined all of the sh available shepherds in our church. They're all flawed. They're all sinners, and they would all tell you that about me, okay? So, listen, if you're rejecting the message of Christmas because of the flaws and the character gaps in the messenger, you're just going to reject it forever. Now, again, there are biblical standards and qualifications for shepherds that we must all meet. And, and so for that reason, I've gathered all the pastors and shepherds in our church and I'm like, look, if we're going to obey this verse, we're going to need to have some agreement about the way we live and the way that we do ministry. And I gave them recently these seven core values. If you're going to serve as a pastor in our church, we're going to, you're going to have to meet these particular core values. And so we all agreed. Let me tell you the first one that, that we all agreed to as your shepherds. Okay, here it is. We will authenticate the message that we preach. In other words, we are going to be authentic followers of Jesus. And if we are going to preach to you, we're going to actually try to live the message that we're preaching. What a novel idea that we would actually want to, like, not require anything of you that we wouldn't require of ourselves. And so we've agreed to these things. We will believe and preach the gospel to ourselves first. Before we try to fill your ear with this stuff, we're going to actually fill our ears with this. We're going to preach it to ourselves every day. We're going to be a model of the message with humility. Listen, shepherds are not an exalted role. It's a servant role. And so with humility, understanding the weightiness of the call of God to be a shepherd. And I want to invite you, if you're a small group leader, you shepherd anybody. If you're a father or a mother, you have little sheep in your home. You have to embrace that role with humility. We will be maturing disciples of Jesus. We're pretty big on the idea of making disciples around here. Before we try to make one, we want to be one. And we will confess and repent when we blow it and we will blow it. And so that is something that shepherds need to have in their life if they're going to communicate a message that's believable. But on the flip side of that, nobody's ever going to get that right. Don't reject the message because of the gaps and flaws in the messenger. You have to listen for the right messengers. Everybody wants angels. God's going to give you a flawed shepherd. Here's the second thing. If you want to hear the message of Christmas, you have to listen for the right message. Look at verse 14. Here's the message of the angel. Two things. Glory to God in the highest. And, number two, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They were faithful messengers. So the message is twofold. First of all, the message is glory to God. You know the message we want to hear from God? Glory to me. We want the angel to show up and say, you are so glorious. God is so impressed with you. 
I mean, look at you. You go to church all the time and you give money and you're nice to your cat. And I mean, you're just so glorious. You're amazing. And oh, don't feel any conviction over the gaps and flaws in your life. I mean, you're just wonderful. And that's not the message. The message is you're not glorious. God's glory, glorious. Glory to God. The message of Christmas is not to make much of you. It is to make much of God. The, the reason for my existence is to bring glory to God. Here's the second message. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, how many of you grew up like me reading the King James Version of the Bible and you're just really upset about the fact that it doesn't say peace on earth, goodwill to men. Where'd that go? Because that was really good. And I like goodwill. It's half price on Saturday. You get some really good deals there. And like, if you remove that from the Bible, you're like re removing my whole shopping theology here. Because it's like, all right, so where did that go? So why, why do we have a different translation here? Let me explain some of this. Um, the, the phrase goodwill to men, not a bad phrase, not a bad phrase, but the better manuscripts and the better translation is peace among those with whom he is pleased. The reality is God is not pleased with everyone. As a matter of fact, without Christ, God is not pleased with anyone. Here's the story of the Bible, okay? And here's why this good news brings great joy. Up until this point in human history, there was no peace with God. There was fighting between heaven and earth by our sin. We had declared war on God. And as a result, God was unable to get pleasure from my life. The reason he created me was for his glory and for his pleasure. Outside of Christ, I have no peace and God gets no pleasure from my life. And yet the angel announced, glory to God, peace on earth. This word peace, we don't really grasp it in our English language. We think of peace as being watching a nice snowfall with um, a nice fireplace. Just such a peaceful environment. It, some of you would say, well, peace, that's the absence of conflict or the absence of war. It's really much deeper than that. In the Old Testament, the word peace was the word shalom. And everybody was waiting for the shalom to happen. Everybody understood that we, we, we're, there's a gap between heaven and earth. The relationship between God and man has been broken. And the gap was the absence of shalom. Really the word peace in the Old Testament and even here in the New, it, peace means wholeness or completeness. It means unbroken. In the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Job, it's used of a flock of sheep where none of the sheep was missing. But if a sheep went astray, there was no peace in the flock. It was a, it was a broken flock. It was an incomplete flock. It's also used of a wall that is not missing pieces of brick. It has no 
gaps in its integrity. It's a peaceful wall. It's a complete wall. So when we see the angel use the word peace, what he's saying is complete, whole, repaired, restored. In other words, the coming of Jesus was going to bring shalom, fill in the gap, fill in the crack, cause peace between two warring parties, God and man. You ever fight? You ever fight in your marriage? Andrew and I had a good fight last week. I won't tell you one. There, there is shalom now, everybody. It's okay. You ever, you ever fight? Maybe a better way to say that is, do your kids ever fight? Ever fight with you? Do nations ever fight? Republicans, Dem Democrats ever fight? Rich, poor, black, white? You see all the fighting in the world? Do you know what that is an evidence of? If you're an atheist, you have to agree. There's a lot of fighting that goes on. As Christians, we understand that. Fighting with each other is evidence that we are fighting with God. You ever worry? You know what that is? That's an evidence you're fighting with God. You're fighting to control things that are outside of your control. So you worry about things that only God can fix. That's an evidence of fighting with God. You ever get angry? You ever get angry with God? You don't like the way things are going in your life? low in the bank account, health report, you want to kind of ball up your fist and say, God, if, if you are God, then you need to fix this right now. It creates a gap. There's no peace. There's, there's no shalom in your relationship. For those of us that embrace the message of Christmas, if you could hear what I hear, if you could behold what I behold, if you would embrace the message of Christmas, if you could hear it through different ears, you know what would happen? The peace of God would supersede your worry, your anger, and your fear as you trust the message of Christmas that peace with God is now possible by faith in Jesus Christ. You say, I want some of that. How do I get me some of that peace? Peace is not something that is achieved. Peace is something that has happened. Notice what it says in verse 15. Did you see it? The angel says, let us go see this thing that has happened. What has happened? God has sent a Savior into the world so that for the first time in human history, there can be peace with God and man. Do you have peace with God? Listen, just because you've stopped throwing punches at God doesn't necessarily mean there's peace with you and God. If there's something that feels like it's missing in the relationship between you and God, that missing piece is Christ. He's the mediator between God and man. That's the message of Christmas. We want glory. We want God to make much of us. God gives us shalom, peace with God. Here's the last thing. If you want to hear the message of Christmas, then you have to listen with the right heart. Look at verse 18. 
And all who heard it, they heard the message. Do you hear what I hear? All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So verse 18 tells us about this group of people. I don't know if it was the townspeople in Bethlehem, but the shepherds went and they published the good news. And everybody that heard it, there was, a, there was an emotion, there was a response, and the word that's chosen here is the word wonder. Some of your translations may say amazed. I mean, it thrilled them. Some of them were awestruck. That reminds me of a lot of people that come to church around Christmas time. They love the wonderful message of Christmas. The music is wonderful. The decorations are wonderful. Some of you will leave church today and you will shake my hand and you will say, Pastor Trent, that was a wonderful message. At least I hope a few people might say that occasionally. But listen, what I really not, what I really want is not for you to wonder at the message. At some point you have to move beyond sentimental wonder to supremely treasure the message of Christmas. Verse 18, all we get is a bunch of people that are like, really happy that the shepherd showed up. And wow, that was a really good story. But they're not moved by the message. They're not changed by the message. A lot of people that show up around Christmas time at church, it's like they're Christmas schizophrenias. Schizophrenia, what, what's the word? Schizophrenics. So you know these people. So the, the, what, what it is, it's like we love this message that there's a Savior born at Christmas time. And then you leave and you don't live like you need a Savior. There's one other person in the story. It's verse 19. What's the first word of verse 19? But that is a word of contrast. What we are about to read is different than the first group in verse 18. Verse 19 says, But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Underline the word treasure. Underline the word ponder. The first group wondered. Mary treasured. There's a point which you must move from wonder to treasure. The word treasure means to value, to cherish. It actually means to memorize, to rehearse. Mary apparently rehearsed these things over and over in her hearts, and we don't know exactly what was going through her heart, but she must have been thinking, Savior, Lord, Bethlehem, shepherds, glory, peace. What does all this mean? They're like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. And in her mind, she's treasuring these things and pondering, does it fit here? Does it fit there? Does it fit over here? This is what has to happen for a person to grasp, to hear the message of Christmas. Understand, it has to move from your head to your heart. She pondered these things where? her heart. It became something that was so cherished and so loved by her. She couldn't get away from it. These things gripped her heart. So what was she 
What was she thinking? Again, we don't really know, but we do know that as a young Jewish girl, she would have been taught from birth the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah. Maybe she thought of Ezekiel chapter 34. And I'm sure you've all got that memorized. What's in Ezekiel 34? This, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rebuke from God to the shepherds of Israel. So the, the leaders, the kings and the priests, those that were supposed to lead and feed the people of God, do you know what God says? You're not doing your job. You're not creating peace. You're creating chaos. And at that time, Israel was in chaos. And yet there was this promised peace. And so do you know what God says in Ezekiel chapter 34? Let me read it to you. He gives them a promise and he says this. I will set up over them one shepherd. Who's that going to be? Names him. My servant, David. Hang on. This was written hundreds of years after David was king in Israel. So anybody that read this would have understand that's figurative language for someone who is like King David. Maybe he's even a descendant of King David. Maybe he's even born in the same place David was born. Where was David born? Bethlehem. The city of David. And he shall feed them. This one true and great shepherd will feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of what? Peace. Shalom. What was the message that the angels announced? Glory to God. Peace on earth. God is fulfilling His promise. Mary must have understood. She must have treasured. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Shepherd showing up. Here's my son. Could it be that this would be the one true shepherd? who is a descendant of David, born in the city of David, who would grow up not just to be the great shepherd, but one day be treated like a sheep. Why were there so many sheep in Israel? Why the need for so many shepherds? I've looked around Granger's, not a lot of sheep. Not a lot of shepherds. Why is this occupation not in need anymore? Why did they need so many sheep in Israel? Because there was a lot of sin in Israel. And it was the sacrifice of sheep who shed their blood that made the picture of the atonement for sin. You see, one day, not only was Jesus the great shepherd, he made himself into a sheep and he sacrificed his life. He spilled out his blood as the Lamb of God to atone for the sin of the world so that there could be shalom, peace. Do you hear what I hear? 
Do you see what I see? Do you know what I know? This is the message of Christmas. Have you ever really heard it? Has it ever moved from wonder to treasure? If not, why not today? Why don't we just bow our heads, close our eyes? Would you, like Mary, treasure these things, ponder them in your heart, and in a decisive act of faith, would you trust the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the one that God gave to bring you peace? Are you fighting with God? Would you allow that fighting to be turned into peace right now? To affirm, to reaffirm your love for Jesus. I don't know what kind of flawed shepherds you may have heard that message from. Don't discount the message because of the flaws of the shepherd, the flaws of the messenger. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming from ancient of days, from eternity past, humbling yourself, coming to the lowest of the low so that we could know that the gospel is for everybody. Every sinner needs a savior and God, we are a room full of sinners and I pray that these sinners along with me would reaffirm our love for you, our savior our Lord. And God, would you make us into messengers that would spread the good news of great joy to those who have yet to hear. We pray in Jesus' name.